Great to see you all here this morning. We want to welcome you who are watching online. Uh, if you've been around for the past several weeks, then you know that we're in the midst of a series. Uh, we're working our way through the entire book of Philippians. And uh, the book of Philippians, actually rather than a book, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a, a church that he had planted in the Roman colony of Philippi. And actually, rather than a church, it was a series of house churches. And uh, again, if you've been with us over the past four or five weeks or so, then you know that at the center of Paul's letter is the issue of joy. And particularly, he talks about the issue of how can you have real, indestructible joy regardless, how can you have it in here regardless of what's happening out there? And uh, we, we talked about this, but what's so amazing about this letter that the Apostle Paul writes is that he's writing it during a season in his life where he ought to have really anything but joy. I mean, he's been lied about. He's been falsely accused. He's been attacked. He's been thrown in prison. There's been a murder plot for his life. And now he is uh, 24-7 chained to a Roman soldier, and as he's chained there, all he can think about, all he can write about is joy. Go figure, man. It's just, it's crazy. And uh, last week, Pastor Brad preached a great sermon, didn't he? Yeah, four people thought so. Yeah, no, we got some claps, yeah. If you're online, you can give him a heart and make him feel good. He loves those hearts. It helps him a lot. He loves those, so you can give him a heart. But he, he did. He preached a great sermon, and uh, he, he talked about how joy comes to us when we're able to do six things. He talked about how joy comes when we remember that God is at work in our lives, when we believe that God answers prayer. When we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, when we trust that God will not disappoint us, when we put Jesus first in our lives, and when we put others before ourselves. He said we can have joy when we do those things. It was a great sermon, and he actually preached a six-point sermon in less than 25 minutes. Don't woo that. Who does that? Yeah, I, he, I, I can't believe that. It's... It's difficult for me because it takes me 25 minutes to give you my introduction. And so to know that he was done in 25 minutes, and, we, and we've talked a little bit, we've joked a little bit about, you know, preaching a quick sermon, and, and so there was kind of a competition. Brad proved that there was no competition at all when it comes to that. Um, I, I'm not going to preach uh, six points in 25 minutes. I got three points, and it may take me, well, I won't tell you how long it's going to take me. You'll just have to find out. But no, I thought about this this past week, and I was feeling a little bad, Pastor Brad, and uh, all of a sudden the thought come to me, it's amazing how God can speak to you in the midst of your difficulty, you know, I was feeling bad about myself, and God reminded me of food. Anybody, you guys can tell by looking at me, food's important to me, right? And so I compare a lot of things to food. I shared this with our Wednesday night prayer group, but you know, all kinds of food is good food. I don't think that's proper English, but that's how I'm going to say it. All kinds of food is good food. And I like all kinds, you know. And, and sometimes there's food that we need. We need it quick. And so, you know, they invaded, invented microwaves. And so, man, you can do an entire meal in three, four, five minutes. And you eat that meal. It's a good meal. It nourishes you. And that's good. And, and the thought hit me last week. Pastor Brad is a microwave. 
I mean, he's up here, boom, 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 jumping around back and forth and giving it to you, and you get what you need and sends you out the door. Now, I, I lived in Kansas City way too long, and I love me some good barbecue. And what I've discovered is you can't do barbecue in a microwave. It's a smoker, baby. Low and slow. Yesterday, I put some ribs on the smoker at about 6.45 a.m., and I took them off about 5 p.m. Took all day to smoke them. And so God told me, he said, Doug, you're a smoker. Brad's a microwave, you're a smoker. And so we just are what we are, man, and it's all good. But no, seriously, Brad did a great job last week. And listen, hey, here's the deal. I can't preach fast, but I can hire well, right? So, Yeah. Well, this morning, uh, we've come to the end of chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. And uh, up to this point, Paul has mostly talked about, you know, this is what's going on in my life. This is, this is uh, all of the things that are taking place, and these are the reasons that in the midst of that, I can still have joy, even in the midst of everything that I'm going through. And, and now we come to the end of chapter 1, and Paul shifts gears a little bit, and he shifts gears from himself. He begins to talk about the Philippians. He talks directly to them. And uh, he knows as he talks to them that even though they may not have experienced yet, there will come a point in time in their lives as followers of Jesus where they're going to have to experience their own suffering. You know, this is one of the, this is one of my least favorite promises in all of the Bible. It says that in this life you will have trouble. It's one of the few guarantees that we have. And so Paul knows that suffering is going to come to these Philippian believers, and when it comes, he doesn't want them to lose their joy. And he wants them to have the same kind of joy that he has. And, and so if you were to sum up kind of, you know, the, why is it that Paul, how is it that he can have such joy? I think you could do it in two words. Um, I, I think number one, we've talked about this already, but you, it's the word presence, that the only way that you can have the kind of joy that Paul is talking about is through the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. That true joy only comes through the presence of Jesus. And, and, and then the second word is this, and it's equally important, it's the word perspective. Presence and perspective. Perspective is also very important because the sad reality is you can have Jesus but have the wrong perspective and still not have joy. It's true. People live that way every day. Perspective is so important. And, and when I talk about perspective, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about two things. First of all, perspective is the way that we filter the way we, we think about ourselves. It's the filter in which we see ourselves. But also, perspective is how we interpret Everything that happens to us, everything that's happening around us, that's our perspective. Did you know that every single one of us has a filter in which we see ourselves, but also how we see other people and the events around us? And, and Paul, he has this perspective that is so incredible that has given him such joy. And his perspective, in other words, the filter in which he understood not only himself, but everything that was happening in him, what shaped his perspective more than anything else was that he understood himself as a citizen of heaven. That was first and foremost how Paul saw himself. He was a citizen of heaven. 
Which, by the way, ought to be our perspective as well. This ought to be our perspective. And, and just in case you weren't aware of this, that when you invite Jesus into your life, the Bible tells us that you're given a new life, right? It says that you are born again. We, we've been born anew. But the Bible also teaches that with that new life comes a new citizenship. We, we, have, we have the benefit. The moment we are born again, we are given the distinct honor of becoming citizens of heaven. And this was Jesus' entire message. If you read through the Gospels, in fact, Matthew in particular, I think it's like somewhere between 30 and 40 times this idea of the kingdom of heaven, being citizens of heaven, is mentioned over and over and over again. And Jesus is like, hey, I want you guys to understand the entire reason that I came is to usher in a brand new kingdom. And when you give your life to me, when you surrender to me, you immediately become citizens of this new kingdom that I've ushered in. And, and according to scripture, citizenship in the kingdom of heaven trumps everything else. Our, our citizenship in heaven trumps everything else. In, in other words, as Christians... What ought to shape our perspective, the way we think, the way we view the world, the way we behave, the way we invest what's been entrusted to us, our energy, our time, our talents, our finances, the way we invest everything that's been entrusted to us, what ought to impact that more than anything else is the reality that if we are in Christ, we are citizens of heaven on earth <laughs> we are citizens of heaven on earth and so there's this natural conflict that takes place right because we're citizens of heaven but we live on earth and there's this natural conflict between these two kingdoms that take place in our lives we are foreigners in a foreign land trying to figure out how to operate in this culture with a kingdom culture how do we live in the culture that we live in and still have a kingdom mindset, a kingdom culture? Because we're citizens of heaven. And so what Paul does in this passage that was just read for us on the little video is he actually gives us three clues as to how as citizens of heaven we are intended to navigate through life here on earth. Three characteristics. I want to just give them to you real quick. And remember, when I say real quick, this is Doug quick, not Brad quick. Okay? Real quick. <clears throat> Characteristic number one is concern. Concern. Now, what, what, I, what I mean about concern, you know, what is it that concern citizens of heaven? What is it that citizens of heaven get all caught up in? What are the things that influence the way a citizen of heaven thinks and responds? What is the primary filter in which a citizen of heaven sees the world in themselves? If you look at verse 27, Paul writes this. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what we translate as let your manner of life is actually one Greek word. It's the, it's the word polytuomai, polytuomai. 
And polytuomai is a word that carries with it this idea of being a good citizen. And, and the, the, the Greek or the root word for poly is the word city. But it's also where we get the word politics, politician, political. And so what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, don't forget that, that what stands above any citizenship, any, any political affiliation you may ha- hold here on earth, in other words, to, to the people in Philippi, he's saying, before you being a Philippian, before you being Roman, uh, because Philippi was a Roman colony, before all of that, remember this, first and foremost, you are to be a good citizen of heaven. That is the filter in which you are to operate. And, and Paul talks about this idea of citizenship. He gives us this concept because he knows that that's something that we're going to understand, right? Because we're all citizens of something. We, we understand the duties and responsibilities of being a good citizen, right? Uh, what, what is our duty as a citizen? Well, most of us here are, are citizens of the United States. All of us probably are citizens of the United States. Many of us are citizens of the great state of Nebraska. There are some who are citizens from other places. We have those of you who are watching online and you're citizens of other states. But, but our duty as citizens is, is, you know, it's pretty straightforward. It's one, to obey the law, right? That's our duty as a citizen. Um, it, it's our duty to pay our taxes. Everybody loves that duty. But that's one of our duties as a, as a citizen. It's our, it's our duty to participate in the democratic process. It's our duty as citizens that, you know, if called upon, we will defend our country. That's one of the duties that we have as citizens. The whole idea, the point of the idea, it, it all points towards sacrifice for what you're a citizen of, and allegiance. This is where my allegiance lies. And, and if, you, if you jump ahead a little bit in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul tells the Philippians, he says, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, right? Our citizenship, our first and foremost citizenship is heaven. So, so what is Paul saying here? Is he saying, hey guys, don't worry about your citizenship in Philippi. I mean, just abandon all of that. Since you're a citizen of heaven, you know, it's, it's okay to abandon your, your Philippian responsibilities. No, I don't think he's saying that. H- however, I do think he pushes on this idea of citizenship for a specific purpose. You, you see, Philippi was a very important Roman colony. And, and as a, a colony of Rome, each of its inhabitants were given the privilege of Roman citizenship. Philippi initially was not a Roman colony. It it was conquered by Rome. It became a very important place in in the empire of Rome. And as a benefit to all who lived in Philippi, they were given uh, Roman citizenship. And Roman citizenship in this day and age was a very, very big deal. I mean, Rome ruled the planet. And to be a citizen of the empire of Rome was a big deal. In fact, it was the pathway to power. Without citizenship, you had no power whatsoever. In fact, only a Roman citizen could vote. 
Only a Roman citizen could participate in that democratic process. Um, Only Roman citizens would have the right to a fair trial. Uh, Otherwise, you could just be arrested and thrown in for whatever. Only Roman citizenships could appeal decisions that are made in a court case. Only Roman citizenship or, or Roman citizens could own land. Only Roman citizens could pass that land down to their children. Only Roman citizens could have a legally recognized marriage. I mean, there were all these perks to Roman citizenship. It was a big deal, especially if you weren't born Roman. In fact, we we find this out in, in Acts. We know that Paul was born a Roman citizen, and when he appeals to Caesar, one of the centurions, the Roman guards, they say, man, you were born a Roman citizen. I had to pay a great price for mine. And so Roman citizenship could be bought, but it was extremely expensive. Uh, in, in the centurion's case, probably through a number of years of service dedicated to fighting for Rome. And if he survived, then he would be given his Roman citizenship. So it was a big deal. It was very costly. And to be a Roman citizen, it was kind of like you know, a status symbol. And so for these residents of Philippi, as Roman citizens, they, they probably carried themselves with a little bit of swagger. You know, hey, we're Romans. We, we're all that and a bag of chips. Do the kids still say that? They don't say that anymore. But they probably carried themselves, you know, with a little bit of swagger. Uh, you know, we're, we're Roman citizens. We're the best citizens in the world. We're, we're Romans. We're the most wealthy. We're the most educated. We, we're the most powerful. We have the most opportunities. And, and, and again, we know from the book of Acts that Paul is also a Roman citizen by birth. And so he understands all of this. And what he knows is that these Philippian believers, more than likely... They were prone to view their lives first and foremost as Romans through their Roman citizenship. That was their primary perspective. We're Romans. And maybe for them, you know, once they gave their lives to Christ, they were like, we're Roman Christians. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, guys, make sure you keep first things first. Make sure in your perspective, the way you view yourselves, you keep first things first. First and foremost, you are Christ. You belong to him. You are his. You are Christians who happen to live in Roman providence. And the reality is, is that as those who belong to Christ, you have more in common with Greek Christians and Ethiopian Christians and Christians in Jerusalem than you do people in Rome who don't belong to Christ. That is your primary identity, is you belong to Christ. First and foremost, you need to remember, instead of looking through the lens of your earthly citizenship, instead as followers of Jesus, you've got to start looking at your life through the lens of your citizenship of heaven. Before, before anything else, followers of Jesus are citizens of heaven. That is what trumps everything else. That wasn't meant to be a pun, but you know, it is what it is. That, that's what trumps everything else, citizens of heaven. And Paul says, 
you know, if you're going to walk into the suffering that eventually it's going to come your way, I mean, it's inevitable, then as a follower of Jesus, and if, if, if you want to have joy, then you're going to have to get first things first and remember beyond everything else, you've got to see yourself and you have to interpret everything around you, all the stuff that's happening in the world around you, everything that's happening in your own life through the lens of your citizenship in heaven. This is way more important than all the stuff that your culture has to offer you. This is way more important than, than all of the status that you might achieve. Beyond anything else you could pursue or want, the main thing, the most important thing, the, the, the thing that, that changes and charts your course through life is that your citizenship is in heaven. This is what Paul is trying to help them understand. And so Paul says, when he says, only let your manner of life, he's saying, only let your citizenship do what? He says, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? Well, well first of all, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't, uh, you know, to be worthy of the gospel of Christ doesn't mean that we can somehow, through our own efforts, earn Christ. That all of a sudden, I'm worthy of Christ. Because of who I am or what I've done, I'm just, you know, if I'm just good enough, then I can earn Christ. I'm worthy, you know, if I'm just good enough, then I'm worthy enough for God to love me. It doesn't mean that to deserve Christ. What Paul is talking about when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, what he's saying is, he's saying, let your citizenship in heaven dictate, first of all, how you live your life, but do it in such a way that it is, it is the catalyst in which you show how valuable Christ is. The way you live your life points to how valuable and how worthy Christ is. Christ is worthy. He is supremely worthy for you to surrender all that you are, your entire being to him. Live in such a way that it demonstrates that, that he is worthy. You see, the foundation of the perspective of a citizen of heaven is we understand that when we heard the gospel, that when we confessed and repented our sins, when we gave our lives to Jesus, the greatest thing that happened was is that we got Jesus. That's the best thing that could happen. We got him. We ought to be more excited about that than I think we are sometimes. Sometimes I think, you know, we don't understand what we actually got when we gave ourselves to him. We got Jesus. We, we want a lot of other stuff, you know. Well, maybe we need to check our perspective. Because the reality is, we got Jesus, and there is nothing of greater value in a person's life than the fact that you got Jesus. There's nothing greater in the universe than Jesus. Amen, Doug. That's good preaching right there. Nothing better than Jesus. Come on. You see, the foundation of the perspective of a citizen of heaven is that we have Jesus, and he's worthy. And so we live our lives in such a way. And so Paul says, listen, when you got the gospel, 
you got him. And when you got him, you got the best. And Paul says, if you have any chance, if you want any chance of walking through trials that you're going to face in this life and difficulty you're going to face in your life and still maintaining your joy, you got to understand that you have already been given the greatest thing that you could ever be given. That's why Paul writes, and, and Pastor Brad talked about it last week, for me to live is Christ. Nothing else. And even if I die, that is a gain because I will be with Christ for eternity. And when we put anything else in that blank, then whenever trouble and difficulty come into our lives, we're going to be disappointed. And Paul says, no, no, no. You already got the best that you could ever get when you got Jesus, when he, when he entered into your life. And then, and then Paul digs into this a little bit more. He says, you know, first of all, you've got to have this perspective. You have to understand, this is what concerns the citizen of heaven more than anything else. And then he digs into it a little bit more. And, and he says this, he says, what, what is it going to look like to live as citizens of heaven? Well, well first of all, he says this, it's going to look like courage, it's going to look like courage. That's the second characteristic of a citizen of heaven. He said, citizens of heaven not only share the concerns of heaven, but they have the courage of heaven. Paul says this in verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul encourages these friends of his in Philippi to stand firm. He says, don't be frightened. In other words, be strong and have courage. Stand firm and have courage. This is so important because Paul understands the opposition that comes with sharing Christ. Paul understands the opposition that comes in the face of the message of Christ. And he knew for these friends of his that if they truly lived as citizens of heaven, direct, directed by the priorities of heaven, then the natural result would be resistance from this kingdom. Which, come on, it makes sense because kingdoms war against each other, right? And any earthly kingdom, all earthly structures always resist the kingdom of heaven breaking in. Why? Because scripture tells us that Satan was cast from heaven, right? Satan wanted to be God. He wanted what God had. He wanted to be the king of the kingdom. And so Satan was cast from heaven, and when he was cast from heaven, he became the ruler of this world. That's what scripture says over and over again when it talks about Satan. It calls him the ruler of this world or the prince of this world. And so as a result of that, the natural result is Satan does not want the kingdom of God to break into what he considers his kingdom. And so there's always been this resistance from the beginning of time. Earthly kingdoms always resist the kingdom of heaven. And this is the way it was for Paul. That's the way it was for the Philippian church. And so we probably shouldn't be surprised when that's the way it is for us as well. 
Whenever there are those who name the name of Jesus, who stand up and say that Jesus is the most valuable, and what Jesus says goes. Doesn't matter how the culture has changed. What Jesus says goes. He, he says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And anytime somebody stands up and they say, what Jesus says, go. For, for, for whoever who says the ethic of heaven is the way we are intended to live our lives. The ethic of heaven is the way that I interpret the world around me. The ethic of heaven is how I interact with people. It determines how I interact with others. It's how my values are determined. It dictates the way I talk. It dictates the way I spend my time, the way I distribute my resources. Paul says, when that's true in your life, get ready. Because on this earth, there has always been and always will be an active hostility towards the kingdom of heaven. I mean, come on. Two kingdoms at war with each other. And this is not new news for most of us. I mean, we know we live in a day and an age where if you stand up for the truth, you're likely to be called all kinds of names. You know, a bigot hateful, old-fashioned, stuck in the past, extreme, over the top, and on and on and on. This is what happens when there are two cultures existing on the same plane but moving in opposite directions. And there are times Paul says that if you're going to truly live as a citizen of heaven, if that's going to be your number one priority that trumps every other kingdom then there are times where you're going to have to stand and take courage. And when nobody else is going that way, as a a kingdom-minded person, you stand up and stand firm and say, no, I'm not going that way. I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to say that something is okay that God says is not okay. Because that's not, who, that's not true of who I am as a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, I live out of a different uh, ethic. I, I live out of, out of a different identity. And, and so Paul warns his Philippian friends, and he warns us as well, that when you do that, be ready because culture is not kind to that. It's crazy, isn't it, that in this day and age that you know, we live in where tolerance is the word of the day, that everything is tolerated except the kingdom ethic. Sometimes it takes courage. Paul says, stand firm. Listen, listen, it takes courage to stand under the authority of God's word. And it takes courage to say, I know what everybody else says, but this is God's word, and that's what rules and dictates my life. Stand firm. Take courage. That, that's what it means especially in a world that's hostile to the truth. This is why, listen, this is why it's so important to know your Bible. I mean, you can't stand on something you don't know. And so this is why it's important as followers of Jesus, if we want to live courageously, it's impossible to live courageously to the point that the people, they look and where we're pointing to the value of Jesus if you don't know Jesus' book. Paul says, you got to stand firm. 
you got to courageously link your life to the truth. Because when you link your life to the truth, guess what? That's where real joy is found. That, that's where there's an indestructible joy that circumstances can't, can't take it away. This is where real joy is found. Okay, the last characteristic of a citizen of heaven is, is confidence. Confidence. The confidence of a citizen of heaven. Look at verse 28. Paul writes, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. In other words, Paul says, listen, as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven, you can have confidence even in your suffering. Why? Because God has promised not only to save you, but even better than that, he has promised to be with you. This is why Paul could have so much joy in everything that he went through because in the midst of it all, he had this great confidence that no matter what, he knew not only would it end in complete salvation, but better than that, he knew that no matter what he had to go through, he didn't have to go through it by himself. He knew that God was with him. Listen, I don't, I don't know what you're going through today, but what I do know with great confidence is this, is that God has promised to go through it with you. He has promised to never leave you and never forsake you. This is one of the great guarantees of heaven. People may abandon you, but God never will. Paul says this is a clear sign to them. What, what is a clear sign? That you're standing firm. That, 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 that you're not afraid, that, that you're having joy in the midst of difficulty. The Bible talks about that there is a peace that is available to us that doesn't make sense. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. In other words, when people look at you and go, what is up with them? They're going through this and this and this, and yet they have peace and joy when they ought to be falling apart. This will be a sign to them, Paul says. It's a clear sign to the rest of the world that God is who he said he is and Jesus is better than anything else. Let, 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 me, let me put it like this. Um, I, I mentioned this in my weekly Facebook devotional that I put out every Friday um, that all six of you watch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I mentioned this, that when God saves us, we are saved for transformation. That, that when God saves us, he wants to transform us. And, and then when we're transformed, as he's transforming us, which is a process that is a lifelong process, but as he's transforming us, what he wants to do then is he wants to put us on display for the rest of the world to see. That, that's why Paul writes things like, you are God's masterpiece. What do you do with a masterpiece? You display it. You want people to see it, and you are God's masterpiece. And as he transforms you, he wants to put you on display for the rest of the world to see as examples of how God can supernaturally work in the, in the midst of uh, hard, difficult circumstances, but in the lives of ordinary people. 
That, that, hey, there's nothing supernatural about me, but the reality is there's a supernatural God who lives in me, and he allows me and helps me to get through things that I couldn't get through on my own and still have joy. The Bible says that he wants to display us. We are his masterpieces. And so I believe what God is doing as, as you know, again, I don't, I don't know everything that every person that's watching online or is here this morning is going through. I know some of what some of you are going through, and there are some of you who are going through difficult stuff. It's hard stuff, but I want to encourage you this morning because I believe what God is doing is he is erecting billboards all over Lincoln, Nebraska. I, I, I know we got people watching from other places, again, so he's erecting billboards in western Nebraska. And he's erecting billboards in Colorado, and he's erecting billboards in Kansas, and he's erecting billboards in Texas, and he's erecting billboards in Illinois, and he's erecting billboards in the Philippines, and he's erecting billboards in Africa. All over, all over, he is erecting billboards. And guess who those billboards are? You. You are his billboards. And those billboards tell people that regardless of what I have to go through in life, there is nothing greater than the love of Jesus. There is no way that I could go through what I'm going through if I had to go through it by myself. I need Jesus. And they're telling people that there is something greater than all the pursuits of this kingdom. That even if you gain the world and lose your soul, it ain't worth it. That even if you gain the world, it doesn't bring true happiness, true joy. This is why we see all the time the sorrow and the sadness of those who on the surface, it looks like they had it all. And yet they're so despondent, they take their own lives. Why? Because that doesn't bring joy. Only Jesus can bring a joy that nothing else can take away. And so I want to encourage you this morning that when you walk into suffering, there are some here this morning that you're walking in it right now. That there are others of you who, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you will. I mean, in this life, it rains on us all, right? On the righteous and the unrighteous, that... In life, trouble comes to us all. And so when you walk through suffering, when you encounter persecution, I want to encourage you, you don't have to shrink back. And not only do you not have to shrink back, but because of Christ in you, Paul says you can actually step into it with a joy that is indestructible. Now, we talked about this. That doesn't mean that we pretend like things aren't happening in our lives and we're just like, bless the Lord, everything's great in my life when everything's not great in our lives. To be a person of faith doesn't mean that you deny the realities of your emotions. That, I mean, come on, you'd be a weirdo if you're going through a tough time and there's not a measure of sadness or pain or sorrow. But see, that's the difference between joy and happiness because Paul says that happiness, happiness can't exist where sorrow exists because they're opposites. Joy, on the other hand, is something totally different. And so we can, we can be sad and we can hurt and we can 
reflect the reality of our situation, but we can still have an indestructible joy that is based upon not what's happening in here, out here, but who is in here. And so Paul says, hey, guess what? You guys are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, there's a different way that you live than everybody else lives. And so you can live with the concerns of heaven, that the, the things that, 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 that citizens of heaven, what, what they get wrapped up in, you can get wrapped up in those things. You don't have to get wrapped up in all the other stuff. And you can, you can live with courage that is beyond yourself. You can stand up and the Holy Spirit will empower you and embolden you. And if you'll take the stand, he'll give you the strength to stand. Man, and not only that, you can live with confidence. Knowing that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. Knowing that he's created a place for you. That when your days on this earth end, there is a mansion that he has prepared and there's lots of rooms in it. If it were not so, he would have told us. And in that place, we can live eternally. And then, that's the time. It's not now. But it's then where there'll be no more tears no more sorrow, no more pain, no more fear. And we will know the joy that we were meant to live in, in its completeness and in its fullness. Man, I don't know about you, but in my mind, that's way better. That's way better than anything anybody else has to offer. I want to live as a citizen of heaven. I want to I pray with you this morning as we close. And Brian, would you just play something softly there? And I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I can't, I can't talk about being a citizen of heaven without giving an invitation for those who maybe have never taken that step to take that step. There are some, I believe this, there are some who are watching online. Maybe somebody who stepped into this place today. And man, God had this designed for you. His invitation is to come. His invitation is, man, just open your heart to me and I, it, I've, already, I've already done what's needed. You can't earn it. It's a free gift and I want to give it to you this morning. All you have to do is accept it. And so this morning, if you felt a little tug on your heart, if there's, you know, there's been that, um, just that desire to connect with Jesus, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that and I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me in the quietness of your own heart. Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for the fact that you didn't come into this world to condemn me. We sang about it earlier that in the Father's house we can check our shame at the door. That you didn't come to shame me. You came to free me and deliver me. And so today I give my life to you. I ask you, would you forgive me for the sins that I've committed, the ways that I've behaved, the decisions that I've made that are contrary to the way that you designed me to live my life? And would you come and would you fill me with your presence? Make me a citizen of heaven. And then, and then teach me how to live as one. <laughs> with the concerns of heaven, with the confidence of heaven, with the courage of heaven.
I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.